0: You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast, loaded up plenty of information today. As always, we'll have the newsy news of the day. Also, uh, we'll talk about the, the teams that have the biggest swings in terms of uh, potential record this season, and uh, also... Nick Saban, supposedly flirting with some Ohio State uh, coaches in the offseason, including uh, Zach Smith. Of course, I'd be talking two offseasons ago. Uh, we'll get to that. And how far-reaching uh, is his uh, effect when it comes to uh, well, kind of flirting with other coaches at other programs you your Locked on SEC football podcast, supportive Locked on SEC football podcast, comes to you from Manscaped, number one, immense below the belt grooming. Uh, you may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision engineers tools for down below. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Locked On at manscaped.com, manscaped.com, 20% off with the promo code Locked On. Chris, good weekend for you as we get rolling. Uh, there are plenty of uh, football programs out there, pretty much everybody that are in camp now.
0: Yeah, it's been a, it's a, a busy weekend, obviously, with uh, a lot of folks, as you mentioned. For those that haven't uh, started practices, started usually most of them getting in on Friday or the weekend, and and uh, in many cases, a couple of practices under their belt. So we can keep you up to date on a little bit as we're talking to coaches and uh, getting a feel for how the early practices are going. Uh, we we'll may. May uh, dive into a little bit of tape as time permits, but uh, with that and the NFL season uh, basically underway with the start of preseason. It is uh, it is the start of the regular season. The preparation, that is, is underway. So a lot to get to um, and excited about it.
1: Yep, absolutely. Let's start with Alabama. Finally, Yobi An- Anoma finds his destination. We thought Maryland for a while, but no, he heads south. Yeah, I'm
0: really surprised. Of course, he announced he's going to Houston, Uh, the former five-star defensive end from the Baltimore area. I'm not quite sure what happened. Got to dig down uh, a little bit more into it. Didn't have time to do so um, this weekend with some other football work, but a little bit surprising. Look, I mean, it's great. It's great for him. I mean, uh, he's excited about Houston. I'm happy for that Houston program and happy for Dana and what I think he's building there at Houston. I'm not quite sure what the deal is um, that he didn't go back close to home. Um, You know, so it's going to be interesting to kind of delve down into it a little bit and to see what this young man can develop into just because he's a five-star guy doesn't mean he's going to end up being a great player. Um, He's got all the tools though. Uh, It's going to be fun to see what he can do for them. Um, You know, they don't get a lot of five-star guys in fact, You know, they were uh, one of the few that uh, sometimes you get them in transfers like this. But uh, remember, they got Ed Oliver. That's the first time a five star kid ever signed with the G5 school. So uh, Houston is certainly uh, amongst uh, among the schools in the country have probably look more like and and, uh, go day to day about their business more like a power five school than than any Um, really good get for them. And I'm curious to see the backstory
1: on it. Auburn with a commitment, and I know you've got some practice notes from the Plains as well.
0: Yeah, Marco Domino is uh, probably, if not, one of the top two, three best JUCO corners, class of 2020. uh, They were able to secure him. A lot of big-time programs. I know LSU, Alabama, a lot of schools were very interested. So good get for them this weekend. Um, As far as practice news, a couple of things really jumping out. Um, Anthony Schwartz is, uh, definitely looking like the most reliable receiver, uh, in the early stages of camp folks, it's early and we get that, you know, but it's, uh, one of the things that you look at is kind of see who's really stepping up. He's doing a really good job. It's also to note everybody wants to focus on the quarterback situation. Joy Gatewood has got most of the first team reps in the first couple of practices. Now that's often done. You want to give Reps just kind of split up the reps and then go in another direction with first team reps. For example, Schwartz was, as I mentioned, the best looking receiver. He had a lot of those reps against second team. So that has a little bit of an impact. He's maybe the most impressive but he did it against second-team guys. uh, So they've kind of worked him into the first-team unit, give him some reps there, did equally as well. So it's a a lot of what you try to do is look at different guys, so don't read too much into it. But we're going to keep you up-to-date on that quarterback race as well as other key quarterback races and other position races around the country. I know folks are really excited about that stuff.
1: Yeah, we're going to get to, as well, the the biggest – uh, swing teams in terms of uh, the SEC record-wise, and and they're one of those that stand out there. And a lot of that is how the quarterback position uh, does end up. Now, LSU practice notes as well. What's going on, Baton? Well,
0: I tell you what, in the early stages, uh, I've talked about Caleb on, on um in him coming back and being healthy. Uh, nobody's been able to block him in the first couple practices at LSU. I mean, he's been uh, you know, 6'4", 250, and he's got – great rush ability been warning folks all all season pay attention to that young lad uh, he's going to be a uh, health permitting going to be an outstanding pass rusher um their outstanding freshman Trey Palmer did not practice with the team on Saturday with the knee injury um Jamal Prediger's also got a knee the tight end hasn't practiced yet um and uh Stephen Sullivan um has been um uh, Uh, moving around in a couple of different spots, tight ends, flex. Uh, That's some of the kind of early news. The biggest key for them is trying to figure out um, how to improve the offensive line play. That was the biggest key or the biggest problem that they had last year.
1: And a Missouri commitment. We're not quite done with the recruiting before preseason camp.
0: No, no, not. That'll that'll sprinkle in uh, during the season, but really good get for them. Uh, Solid three-star uh, defensive end for the 2020 class. You know, he's very um, long-limbed. He's uh, not quite filled out. He's about 220 pounds. He was an Arizona committed uh, commitment. Uh, he reopened his commitment in July. Uh, Brooke Haley, defensive line coach, has worked really hard on him recruiting-wise um and uh, he's decided to go to missouri so they've got 13 commitments for this class they've got three defensive linemen um so um good get for them uh, again not an elite player but one of those guys because of his frame and because of his lack of bulk at this point is probably being overlooked got a chance to be a really good pass rusher at the next level uh, from what i can tell looking at film
1: so coming up the most volatile teams out there in terms of record in the sec with Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. Be sure to go to LandryFootball.com. Learn more about the NFL college and recruiting. It's just that simple. Stay tuned. More after this. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. Stay tuned.
0: You are locked on SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: Welcome back. You're locked on SEC football podcast, and we're to talk about swing teams—teams teams that's records could be anywhere from six to ten wins—and we start with the most obvious one, which is Auburn. Uh, let's say worst case scenario for Gus Malzahn: the quarterback situation isn't settled. Uh, they've got a tough beginning to the season, and they uh, lose a couple of games early. The scrutiny obviously can affect a program. It could go very south. However, uh, it it could be uh, with his talent level there at Auburn, uh, a good season. That's just kind of the way Gus Malzahn rolls in terms of uh, up and down seasons. So, uh, how volatile is that program in terms of? Uh, the ceiling and the floor of what they could do this year. Well, if you
0: look at it, and they were eight and five last year. I, I don't. I I think they're. If things kind of bottom out, or not as effective as they think, I think it's going to be about what it was last year. I don't think it's going to. I think if it uh, changes, it'll change. If they really hit on the quarterback and the quarterback, you know, plays well, you know. I don't see it happening with their schedule, but you could see them win maybe two more games this year, which, you know, so on the positive side, you know, maybe be a, a 10 and three team, you know, you know, depending on the bowl game, how that plays out, but let's just go say, win two more games. Uh, that's, uh, I could see it on the positive end for them. I don't see them being like, for example, uh, a seven win or a six win team. Uh, I mean, I just, they're, they're not, the games on their schedule outside the, you know, the games that we've talked about that are so difficult uh, in conference that I see them bottoming out on. I, I don't see them losing them all. I think they'll win their share. My guess is, is if it's poor, if it's a disappointing season for them, it's probably going to be disappointing in that it's going to be another, you know, eight and, you know, eight and five or you know, eight and four type of team.
1: And then you got Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky, the expectations are high. They won 10 games uh, last year, um, uh, but they lose a lot. I mean, we talk about Josh Allen and, and Benny Snell, and those were two uh, tra- transcendental, once-in-a-generation type of players. But they also lose seven on offense, seven on defense. So Kentucky fans can expect another 10-win season, but that seems pretty difficult uh, for me to imagine.
0: Yeah, I, I think it is as well. I mean, I, I think that eight wins would be an outstanding year. I mean, have to win those uh, games, obviously against Toledo and Eastern Michigan, and of course at the end of the year, Tennessee, Martin, and Louisville. Got to go on the road and beat Vanderbilt, and got to got to beat Tennessee. No given on any of those. Don't like them against um, Florida or uh, Arkansas. I mean, uh, excuse me, Arkansas would be another win. I don't like them against Florida or Georgia or Missouri. Uh, Mississippi State swing so I, I think that's a I, I think eight wins would be a really good year and that would be uh, two less than what we saw them get done last year so I think that they're they're definitely in, a, in, in facing a year that relative to what they were last year um, I don't I don't that is not the expectation that is not something that's going to be a regular occurrence uh, if they could get to eight uh, that would be really really good particularly in the regular season
1: and then we've talked about South Carolina, how difficult uh, their schedule is. I don't, I wouldn't be stunned if they're a, a six-win team, but I also believe in in the infrastructure there that Will Muschamp has built. So if if that infrastructure is is in place and he's got some guys that he can plug in. Then uh, maybe they could be a little bit better, but they're they're incredibly tough to predict as well.
0: Yeah, you know they've got when you look at their schedule with uh, having to play Georgia, having to play Clemson, uh, um, having to play Alabama. That 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 makes it really really difficult to get any traction. The Missouri game obviously always is going to be key, and those are two maybe the teams that are competing for the third best in the East when they play on September 21st. Um, Look, you look at their schedule last year, seven and six. I mean, I think, um, you know, you're probably looking at probably an eight-win team if they do a really nice job. Uh, You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they're seven wins. So I kind of think that they're going to be about what they were last year. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me, as you mentioned, if they dipped one under that. Uh, If they went one over that, that would be phenomenal. But I think that I think they're right about what they were last year, even though they might be a little bit better. Their schedule is even more difficult.
1: Yep. So coming up.
0: And and one one thing, if I can mention, too, the the one team that I would throw in as a candidate for the changeover would be Missouri because of their schedule. They won eight last year, and I would be very surprised if they don't win nine. And I don't think they're going to win ten. But if you look at their schedule, I mean, they're they, you know Georgia is really difficult. Um, in, in South Carolina, is, those are the two toughest games. I mean, they got to go to Vanderbilt. Oh, excuse me, they do have Florida. I, I forgot forgotten these. so they've got two teams that I don't think they'll win. The others are definitely winnable. I don't think they're going ten and two, um, but nine and three is definitely uh, it, it. You know, possible for them. So we'll see maybe maybe they could be in that category as
1: well. Well, and it's worth noting too that Tennessee's schedule gets uh, much easier than it was last season which yeah. is good for Jeremy Pruitt because Yeah,
0: cuz five wins, I mean, they could get to seven. That would be a two-game, you know, switch. That, that I, I don't see anybody, you know, adjusting their win total positive or negative by 3. I mean, I think two's the number. Yeah, I could see Tennessee doing it, no doubt.
1: So, coming up, uh, Nick Saban gets under Urban Meyer's skin yet again. Uh, Stay tuned. You're locked on SEC football podcast with Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker.
0: You are locked on SEC football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome to your locked on SEC football podcast. Uh, This portion of the podcast brought to you by Burner Phones. Get a Burner phone. Um, especially it would have certainly helped Hugh Freeze uh, and maybe (laughs) Nick Saban as well there's some private conversations you don't want out there Chris I think every coach would admit to that even if they do absolutely nothing wrong but um, and I, I meant to say Urban Meyer I'm sorry but Urban Meyer very very frustrated over Nick Saban trying to to poach his staff. And one of those coaches was Zach Smith, the guy who was in the middle of the whole domestic uh, assault scandal that uh, may have pre uh, or may have led to Meyer's decision to uh, retire. And he was eventually suspended. We know all that, but you know Nick Saban loses so many coaches and he has to go out and he has to reach out to other coaches around the nation. I just wonder how uh, unsettling that is for other coaches, because when Alabama calls, you have to listen. And in this particular case, I think it it really, really bothered Urban Meyer. And uh, he used some very coarse language about uh, about different uh, programs, especially Alabama coming after uh, his coaches. Uh, how how frustrating can that be when Nick Saban comes calling? Well, it's
0: like anything else. It's, uh, you know, coaches. um And listen, I can I can I've been on both sides of it, trying to hire coaches and then trying to get hired. And so as a coach, there's a I have to admit a an admittable, uh, you know, um, inconsistency, uh, (laughs) you know, hypocritical nature, because here's how it works. Nobody wants anybody to take their coaches. But when you have a coaching opening, you want to find the best guy for you. And the other factor that's not mentioned is, um, pardon me, coaches tend to reach out to other programs because they try to create leverage situations. So um, I can tell you this, that every raise that I ever got, college, NFL, coach, scout, when somebody else tried to hire me, It's it's just kind of the way it is. And so. I'm a little bit surprised that that Urban has a response like that because he's done the same thing. Um, You go back a couple of years ago, the story was kind of with the Zach Smith deal. Well, this is before the whole Zach Smith, Urban Meyer situation blew up. If you remember, the staff in which he basically let a lot of them go this past year, two years ago when he hired him, he was trying to. Put together an elite recruiting staff as a result of Kirby Smart basically getting a little bit of an edge in recruiting head to head. Zach Smith, who's really not a what I what I would call a um, upper tier, uh, not even close as a coach, is a really good recruiter. So it was somebody that I think that. That Nick was, you know, had people had recommended. Sack had shown interest. Um, when they did the background check on him, they found out some of the stuff and some of the stuff at Florida at the time. I don't think they knew a whole lot about the Ohio State, although they, depending upon, and I'm the time frame is kind of I don't know. Exactly when those domestic violence calls came in from Columbus and whatnot, they found out about that through the background check. So they they did not have any interest in hiring Zach Smith. But look, I mean, coaches come and hire off a of Nick staff. Um, sometimes they come and hire for positions, and it's usually you know uh, upwardly mobile moves. I think this coaches get frustrated a little bit more when when one of their assistants take a lateral move. But, you know, I think that there are always your circumstances. I'm a little bit surprised because Urban's been in coaching enough, long enough to know that that happens an awful lot. And for somebody that got ripped in his own league for being, uh, let's say, overly aggressive in recruiting, because it was kind of the, you were persona non grata in the Big Ten if you started recruiting other schools' commitments and Urban started to do that regularly. So it's it's ironic uh, that that it's. Listen, I I know Urban very well. no obviously know Nick very well. That's just kind of part of the business. Kind of um a, li- a little. I want to say naive, but you uh, know I would not consider Urban naive. Uh, I think it just rankles guys. I can tell you that it is just something that the way it is. I, I give you an example, Nick Saban. Does not let his coaches speak to the media. He doesn't. He, he clone their own message. When we were in Cleveland together, that he he got that because of Bill Belichick didn't allow his coaches to speak to the media because Bill Parcells didn't allow his guys to speak to the media. Well, Nick Saban, I mean, came out and said, you know, uh, you know, none of the Browns coaches would be able to speak to the media. Nick Saban said. Uh, I don't plan on being the defense coordinator for the Browns my entire life. So I will be speaking to the media. So there, there you go. He, he's, you know, but then he goes and he's the head coach. He's the one in charge. Well, my coaches are not going to speak to the media. It's you call it hypocritical. Hypocritical is not a nice thing to say, but the reality is that's kind of how people do it. It's gone are the day when the Nebraska and Penn state staffs, you know, were around for 25, 30 years, um, there's a lot of money involved now, and you know it is big on getting raises. It's what happens, and I deal with this an awful lot. I mean, this we could do two hundred podcasts on stories, much of much of what I couldn't say publicly, of course, but about coaches who are trying to find this job. Hey, can you help me get an interview there? Can you help me? can you do that? You know, and I know a lot of it it's just you know they might get the job, but more importantly, if they don't get it, they get a raise at their current place because somebody else is coming after them. That's just part of it, a part of the, the the world we live in in the coaching world. So a little bit surprised um, uh, that that he would take that approach.
1: Yep, and uh, he he seemed perturbed. I, I get the feeling he doesn't like Nick Saban. Uh, well, awful, Nick but.
0: Nick Nick, he wanted to get a job. With Nick, when Nick got the Toledo job, he was a young coach. I go back with Urban when um, I was an assistant at LSU. We're playing Ohio State in a in a home-and-home, uh, home. so two years. One year over there, one year in Baton Rouge. And I think it was uh, in Columbus. There's this young coach comes up to me, introduces himself, and you know i don't know him from anything just a young young kid and you know um you know just made some small talk very personable you see very bright and what was really surprising he asked me and this is not he saying hey you know would you mind if i called you get some advice um At the end of the season, I know you're busy during the season. I said, sure, sure. And he gave me his card and, you know, put it in my pocket, which is really unusual. Nobody has their business cards in their coaching outfits, you know, before the game. But this is how, um, I don't know, forward thinking, very bright. I would never think to do that. Just tells me kind of where I am. Well, that young GA was Urban Meyer. And uh, so we uh, we got to know each other and whatnot. Well, long story short, he ended up getting an assistant coaching job. At Bowling Green and um, he had a, an opportunity before that to go to or he wanted to go to Toledo Nick Saban leaves the Houston Oilers to go to Toledo be the head coaching job and as the story goes Urban got a hole in Nick's number um, I don't remember I mean I I I It could have been me that gave him the number, although I don't remember doing that. Um, He called, and Terry answered the phone, uh, Nick's wife. And so Terry has this long conversation with this young coach, Nick Saban, uh, uh, young coach, uh, Urban Meyer. And, you know, so much so that when Nick gets home that night and she says, you know, I had an interesting conversation with this guy. Um, You really need to talk to him. And Nick was in the playoffs that year with the Oilers. And if you kind of go into that, you know, if you're in the playoffs, it is really it's busy. The NFL season goes longer. So Nick never followed up with the conversation. And he he often said, boy, that was maybe the biggest mistake I ever made. You know, not even following up. But Urban Meyer had. So I don't know if it's I mean, it's certainly not that, but it's probably a little bit of the. The ego part of it. Urban Meyer has been very, very successful. Nick Saban's been the most successful and probably things that happen on the recruiting trail, things that happen in the coaching world. Um, there's a lot of friends among one another, the but there's a lot of competitive edge. And sometimes they're enemies that are that are made out of it. So uh, and, and that's a little bit of Urban's personality. He's got a got a little bit of that that in him. Nick is a little bit more. He, Nick can be vindictive, but you got to really cross Nick. Uh, for him to, to get on his bad side
1: there you go that's your locked on SEC football podcast we get the week started more news and notes from around the SEC as camp is in uh, full session and before long i will have the pads on so for Chris Landry at LandryFootball.com I'm Dave Hooker I have a fantastic day everyone